So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection with your hosts, Rico Shields and Jean Victoria Norlock. Bringing your inner life to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody. To this Tuesday edition of Everyday Connection. I am, as always, Rico Shields. Well, maybe not always, but right over here I have Jean Victoria Norlock. How are you, Jean? Hi, Rick. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Awesome. I'm good. We've been uh, having interesting weather here, and of course, you and I have just been busy as little beavers for days now. I like busy sometimes. Yeah, it has been crazy busy three days. Um, but grant writing will do that to you. We've submitted uh, a grant application to the Sundance Documentary Fund and uh, the Puma Creative Catalyst Award and uh, Bertha uh, Brickdock. Yes. 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 Journalism, journalist documentary. Journalist award. documentary, which grant. you are. Yeah. College trained journalist and everything. Imagine that. Yeah, people might not know. <laughs> Imagine me actually using my education. Because, you know, you don't you didn't get out with your journalist degree and go to work for traditional media. I just No. No. <laughs> no. Uh, no. <laughs> uh t- 20 years ago, I don't even know what 15. My daughter's 15, so um 15 years ago mainstream media was was very scary. Yes, even 15 years ago, you knew you didn't want to go that direction. Imagine that. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Yep. Oh, I'm getting feedback. Uh oh. Ah. See, that's what you get for being on the wireless headset, so you can wander around the house. I'm still chained to the computer here. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm the tech geek, and I'm the guy with some wires, and I don't understand how that works. Mm-hmm. But. It, it works pretty well, most Indeed. best as I can tell. All right, well, we're not going to banter around too long tonight, folks. Uh, no, we, but before we before uh-oh. we bring in our guests, we should probably mention um, some new shows that we might be launching soon. Oh, some new shows. Yes, well, Everyday Connection Radio is uh, expanding by picking up two more shows, two new shows. Uh, so within... Well, two weeks from yesterday, we should be premiering uh, Infinite Possibilities with Carl Sheldon. Is that what we decided? Infinite Possibilities? That's what he picked? Yes, sir. That is the name of his show. Excellent name for Carl. Uh, Carl is an engineer, scientist, inventor, uh, strong resemblance to James Dewan, Scotty. 
<laughs> even calls his website Scotty Slam, and uh, he has some really amazing energy technology and healing technology. And uh, and the fun thing about Carl is that all of his technology he talks about, he'll give you a map to his lab, and you can come and he'll show it to you. It's not a picture on paper. It's you can hold it in your hand and it works. I like that. Absolutely, and um, the focus of Carl's show is going to be all about encouraging young and old alike to uh, take their ideas from out of their head and actually, you know, put them out into the world, make them a reality. So he's going to offer the opportunity for people to call in, bounce Absolutely. ideas off them, and um, y'all can talk about a bunch of tech stuff. And, and figure out how to make those ideas workable. So you young folks that are all big on, you know, it should all be open source, it's not just young folks that believe that. Absolutely, absolutely. Carl believes strongly um, in open source with regards to technology and, and information about technology just because there's so much potential um, for technological growth right now on the planet uh, that he just wants to encourage everybody to get involved with that. So. Um, it's going to be a, it's, it's going to be a fun yeah, show and an awesome show. and very interesting. And then Wednesday nights uh, coming soon. We don't have a date yet for the Wednesday night show, but we're going to now be Monday through Thursday. Uh, and Wednesday night, many of our listeners know Mama Webb. Um, she was on for Jean's birthday show as my co-host. That was sort of her hosting coming out party because. Uh, <laughs> Mama Webb's going to be joining us on Wednesday nights with uh, Sacred Weavings. And uh, she has a website up where folks can submit questions. Of course, folks can call in. Uh, Mama's helped over 700 clients over the years uh, and developed this own, her own sort of ideas about the spiritual orphan. Uh, and again, what's unique about Mama is that she's not going to do it for you. Um, what she's going to offer is a platform for open, honest unabashed discussion um, about life issues, uh, be they spiritual or just common everyday issues, which yeah, is, it's also spiritual. So um, she's going to offer offer a platform for people to come and discuss those those with her and work together to come up with solutions. And Mama will have her tarot and all of that, and she will you know, take questions and do many readings, but uh, I suggest, unless you want to hear the real raw truth, don't call and ask Mama. Because, <laughs> you know, she'll she'll tell you. When's my, when's my girlfriend soulmate going to show up? Well, what have you been doing to get yourself ready to be a soulmate? Have you gotten yourself in order over there? What's going on with that that you feel alone? <laughs> you know, sort of thing, because Mama don't play. <clears throat> yeah, no, um, definitely if... if uh... If it doesn't jive, she's going to call shenanigans on it. But that's the way it should be. And and it's not a question of right or wrong in Mama's eyes. It's a question of what's going to work for you and what's not going to work for you. Uh, and, and quite honestly, the answer, as we always say, has to come from the individual. So um, Mama's going to be here to guide you to the finding of that answer or to new ways that you can continue to find answers in your life. So yeah. it's a very excited show. She's very good at getting you past your stuck spot, helping yeah. you spot why you're stuck there, but or feeling stuck there because you can't be stuck. But, but like I said, she's not gonna no sugar coated answers. 
you know. No, but a whole lot of love. Yeah, absolutely. She will stand right next to you and hold your hand all the way through the process. Absolutely. She's uh, she's awesome. We we just got an awesome group coming together, the uh, Everyday Connection Network. Yeah, I guess. very exciting. So that's why you, you may have noticed that in the chat room that I'm not just Everyday Connection anymore. I'm Everyday Connection Radio. So, uh, so you'll start having to look at the titles of, of shows because there will be Infinite Possibilities, Sacred Weavings, and Everyday Connection. And we will, of course, add them into our calendar. Um, and uh, eventually there will be spots on the website for them. But Because yeah, yeah. we're also writing grants right now. <laughs> we're also writing grants, and they're also putting together their own websites and stuff uh, because these we're, we're assisting uh, friends and EC family members that want to that have important word to get out to the world uh, to get started. And uh, but I'm I'm acting as producer and getting these guys to as much as possible run their own deal so that you know they can take it as far as it goes. If that's you know bigger than everyday connection, so be it. Absolutely. So. So. Shall we? Now, perhaps. Now. Absolutely. The patience test has been passed. <laughs> we have we have with us again tonight, folks, uh, returning to the show, uh, Peter Canova, uh, author of Pope Annalisa, and uh, uh, wonderful, uh, wonderful fella, and and very very knowledgeable, very uh, well researched and well spoken. And we're just thrilled to have him back again to talk about what's going on with the book and. Uh, uh, we may talk about quantum physics and mystery schools, and it's just there's no telling where we can go. We have genius guests, so we can go all over the map. Ladies and gentlemen, Peter Canova. Good How are you, me. Peter? Good. Nice to be with you guys again. Oh, it's fantastic to have you back. Fantastic to have you back. Um, so we know who the hell you are and what you do, because <laughs> we've been there, done that already. Um, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start the show with a really quick. You, on top of who the hell are you and what you do, um, from an avid reader, which would be me, to a fellow author, I guess, because, you, you know, I'm also an author. You're a fantastic author, sir. Um, I, I, it's probably one of the most enjoyable experiences I've ever had reading a novel. Well, thanks. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because... One of the reasons I chose to write a novel rather than uh, a self-help or a, a kind of a scholarly nonfiction work, which this could have been, was just for that very reason that I wanted people not only to be able to understand this information, but to enjoy themselves in doing it. I think that's, that's the best part about this book is that it's full of information and a, a lot of insight and wisdom but you don't notice it. Um, it kind of sinks into you and you get to the end of the book and you realize how much you've learned. And it was just this amazing, entertaining experience the whole ride through. I, I couldn't put it down. <laughs> well, you know, the, the surest way to kill a novel or to kill a movie is for the reader or the viewer to sense the author's hand like you're standing on a soapbox trying to deliver a message. Uh, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that that's how you 
the information came down to you because really that's how it should be. You should really enjoy it. And then at the, uh, at the end of it, you should say, oh, wait a minute, you know, I learned something there too. Yeah, it was fantastic. I, I just wanted to throw that out to um, our listeners. Anybody who hasn't picked up Pope Annalisa yet, you, this is a book that you guys need to get your hands on. If for nothing more than it is a fabulously entertaining novel, you don't have to learn anything, but it's absolutely above and beyond whatever else goes on in the book. And there's lots going on in there. Uh, yeah, lots going on in there. It's just a damn good read. It is. And um, uh, sometimes that's hard to find these days. And 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 of course, Gene over there talking about it being a good read because I'll read some short articles or blog posts or something that I think are kind of good, and I send them her way. And ooh, <laughs> the world is pleased that you're not an English teacher, my dear. Well, one of the first books I ever read was the J.R. Tolkien novels. So, um, and any author worth their salt can recognize the fact that J.R. Tolkien was an absolute genius with regards to building characters and a world. Um, And so my expectations are very, very high when it comes to a novel. I mean, self-help books, okay, you know, I mean, you get through them, and some of them are more entertaining than others. When it comes to novels, my expectations are through the roof. And if I'm not excited in the first chapter, I will put the book down. So, (laughs) and I didn't. I didn't put it down. I didn't sleep the night I started reading it. Nope, not Um, a drop. No, I actually, I finished the book with the sun coming up, and told Rick I was taking the day off. Yep. You know, it's uh, it's interesting that you should mention Tolkien, Gene, because Tolkien, well, of course, he's one of my literary heroes, too, but Tolkien was highly spiritual, and his works really reflect uh, a lot of Gnostic uh, ideas and a lot of Gnostic thoughts in them. Now, it doesn't come out so much in The Lord of the Rings or the trilogy itself, but if you read the work that preceded those, uh, at least in, in terms of the, the temporal um, time frame of, of that world he created, the Silmarillion, yes. uh, in, in the Silmarillion, the mythology that he weaves in the Silmarillion is, is very, very Gnostic, and it harkens back to uh, a lot of mystical teachings that at one time uh, what we call the, the deities were, were, you know, were nearer to this earth and, and withdrew themselves behind a veil. Uh, but there's a, an incredible amount of, um, of ancient spiritual wisdom uh, that you can read in the, Sil- the Silmarillion, which actually happens to be my particular favorite um, of all the Tolkien works. I didn't get the pleasure of reading that until later in life, and I actually would like to pick it up again because, you know, now with the understanding that I have now, compared to what I had, because those books were put into my hands when I was still very young. Um, but I agree, and and that's probably the best part of Tolkien's work, is that here's this whole fantasy world that he's created, but there's this deep underlying spiritual message to all of it. And um, it sneaks up on you, which is fun. I, I love it when when information and knowledge and wisdom sneaks up on you and a few days later you go huh yeah you're like man that was great and then the next day or the day after you're standing around the water cooler and all of a sudden you're talking about you know in-depth spiritual topics or world world topics and you think oh wow that was a good book yeah 
Well, I think that any great creative work like Lord of the Rings uh, ultimately taps into archetypes and and truths, underlying truths, uh, you know, about our existence. They may be more overt, they may be more subtle, but in any great creative work, you'll find them in there. Absolutely. Now, you've got the book out, and I'm guessing that it's doing fabulously well since the last time we spoke. What have you got going on now? Because you're not the kind of guy to sit still and celebrate his success for very long. <laughs> it's been it's been a busy yeah it's been a busy year. Well, actually, uh, Pulp Analisa I announced a few months ago. I signed a movie deal uh, with the production executives from uh, Phoenix Pictures who did Black Swan, the Oscar-winning Black Swan, uh, Shutter Island, and a number of other uh, great films. Uh, I signed a co-production deal with them, and we're working on getting Pope Annalisa into being a movie, hopefully sometime in the future. So that was a that was a pretty big event, and I am also working on a series of e-books because, you know, Pope Annalisa is is a, is a fictional novel, obviously, but uh, it's it's based on ancient spiritual texts, ancient spiritual wisdom, and the marriage of that wisdom with modern quantum physics. And so when I go around the country and I speak at different venues, of course, it would be pretty boring for me to get up there for an hour or two hours and just speak about my book. So what I actually speak on really is more uh, of the themes of the lost Christianity, the hidden Christianity, uh, the marriage of the old sacred wisdom tradition with quantum physics. I speak in all these topics. And I was getting so many requests from people coming up to me and saying, well, you know, do you have this stuff written down? Is there a CD? Do you have any nonfiction books or whatever? So kind of by popular demand, I'm working on uh, a trilogy of ebooks right now, which I'm close to completing. And that is going to really be kind of a tour de force of, uh, of creation. In fact, the title of the trilogy is On the Origin of the World, uh, A Scientific and Spiritual Inquiry, Inquiry into Reality. And it really ties in my whole body of work uh, going back to uh, the most in the midst of time where we can kind of discern that the ancient mysteries were first taught and formalized and handed down right on through the time of the Christ and uh, and how those teachings really anticipated the major findings of modern quantum physics in terms and and even today most most recently just in the last few days the exciting announcement about the probable discovery of the Higgs boson particle uh, which I think is a huge validation of what I have read in the uh, ancient texts so uh, it's going to cover all those things and it's really going to talk about our origin destiny and purpose as human beings Well, there's a mouthful. <laughs> Want me to repeat that? <laughs> Say that three times fast. <laughs> Backwards. Lots of uh, lots of information, as I as I mentioned in the introduction, folks. We we cover a lot of ground. Oh, I'm interesting. Um, interesting. Yes, I'm interested. You are interesting. I'm, I am interesting. Um, I'm interested though to hear. Uh, you go a little further into an explanation about the God particle because you seem to have an idea of what that is about and a lot of people, uh, we're seeing it everywhere on the news, but let's face it, you know, scientists maybe not so good at explaining it in ordinary everyday terms. <laughs> yeah, it, these are these are these are difficult subjects and 
the real task of my life has been to try and break down these these complex ideas into language that you know average people um, non non scientific professionals can understand. And I guess the first thing that I would say about the God particle is it's kind of a misnomer because all particles are God particles. Um, this just happens to be a manifestation of, of um, oh, another piece in the mosaic that's uh, an important piece in the mosaic of trying to understand our reality. And in order to really understand what the Higgs boson is about, we, well, let's do a little little bit of a quick, and I'll try and simplify a review here of, of, of quantum physics. But scientists have identified four basic forces in nature. And we know two of them very well, gravity and electromagnetism. Uh, the other two aren't as well known. They're called the strong force, uh, which has to do with holding uh, elements in the nucleus of atoms together, and the weak force, which has to do with uh, decay of, of uh, elements uh, like in radioactivity. But those are the four forces that they have found in nature. And uh, each of these forces has oh a what they call a messenger particle. It has a, a a particle that is associated with it that that carries that force and allows that force to interact in the greater scheme of things. So in gravity, it's called the graviton. The force of gravity is expressed in gravitons, and uh, in electromagnetism, uh, the force of light or electromagnetism is expressed in photons, for example. Uh, they have theorized for a while now, dating back to 1964, uh, when a scientist named Peter Higgs theorized that there is a field that permeates everything, permeates everything that we know in the universe. It's an invisible field that permeates everything. And it's kind of funny because if you go way back to ancient times and all the way through the Middle Ages and even as recently as the 1800s, you've heard of the ether, you know, the etheric force and so forth. Um, well, that that whole idea of ether has been kind of like a switch that's been turned on and off. It's been credited and discredited over a period of time. It's kind of fallen into a little bit of discredit uh, in the last oh, century or so. But this, the a whole idea of the ether was uh, that, that there was this uh, unseen force that kind of permeates everything. So in order, they, they built this gigantic particle collider on the border of Switzerland and France. It's, it's underground. It's 17 miles long. And the reason they had, it's, it's in a tunnel un underground. And the reason that they had to make this so uh, huge is that, they had to loop all this machinery in order to um, generate uh, the, the amount of force that's necessary to uh, have these particles collide and produce um, what they were looking for. And they were looking for, in particular, this particle called a Higgs boson particle. So the Higgs particle is the particle that expresses the force of the Higgs field. Just like gravitons express gravity and photons express light, they were theorizing that if this field does exist, there must be a particle associated with it, which they called the Higgs boson particle. And lo and behold, uh, a few days ago, uh, they believe they're about 99% sure that one of the uh, interactions has produced this Higgs boson particle. Okay, that's the technical side of it. Now let's talk about you know, practically what this is and what it means. The, the, the best way 
that they normally describe this Higgs field is if you visualize a tank, a fishing, a, a, a swimming pool or, or an aquarium, like a fish tank that's full of water. And the Higgs boson field is kind of like this, this field of water. It's continuous. It's not porous. There's no holes in it. It's just a continuous medium that penetrates everything. And just the way in the water that some fish will swim through that water very quickly, like let's say a barracuda, which is a very thin, streamlined fish, it'll zip right through the water. Uh, other fish that are kind of bigger and more massive will plod their way through. So, you know, the more mass of the fish, the more resistance the water exerts against the fish and the slower the fish goes. Well, it's the same way with the Higgs field. You have these subatomic particles that have all these exotic names like quarks and leptons and electrons and so forth. And when these particles swim through this Higgs field, these the Higgs bosons, the particles in the Higgs fields are like little magnet filings. And if the particle is a low mass, high energy particle like an electron, it tends to zip through the Higgs field kind of like a barracuda through water. But if it's a heavy um, uh, particle, like the W, uh, one of the particles is a quark, and a quark is present in protons in the nucleus of atoms, and the quark is pretty big and, and, and you know, fairly, um, well, a fair amount of mass. As it goes through, these bosons cling to it, and they really slow it down. So... <laughs> This is where it, it gets a little complex because it gets into the nature of the language. Scientists tend to call everything particles. They say, well, you know, these subatomic particles, they swim through the Higgs boson field. But the thing is that they're not really particles. Subatomic particles aren't so much particles as much as they're wavelengths of energy. So what we call the electron or what we call the quark, rather than being this piece of particle that we can hold, it really starts off more like an energy wave. And the energy wave has like a drag to it, a drag coefficient to it. So the quarks have a higher drag to it than the electrons do. So as the, as the quark slows into this field, the vibration of that quark energy slows down. And the definition of matter or mass is an object at relative physical rest. So the slower this energy becomes, it slows down and it becomes an actual particle. It now becomes the type of particle that goes on to help form the, mat the, the, the matter that we know in, in, the, in the universe. So it's really validating everything that the ancients said when they described matter as light, as light vibrating at a lower energy, light trapped in a, in a slower vibrating form becomes mass, becomes matter. The ancients, and this is going back thousands of years, said this and they were dead on about it because that's exactly what happens in the Higgs field. The energy slows down and as it slows down, it starts to congeal into matter. Now, what does that mean for technology? I mean, my mind is just kind of racing through all the potential there. I mean, if we have the understanding that physical matter is just a slower vibration. Can physical matter not be transported at incredibly high speeds by raising the vibration of that matter and well, then re-lowering it? I, yeah. I just the potential there is like massive. Now that you've explained it, my mind's just like, oh, you could do this with it and you could do that with it. 
<laughs> well, re remember, this is also a validation of Einstein's E equals MC squared, which basically says that, that matter or mass and energy are interchangeable forms of the same substance. So that matter, when, it, when it's destroyed, releases energy, and energy, when it's slowed down in vibration, becomes matter. So you see matter, what we call solid matter, originates in light waves. It originates in waves of energy, and it slows down and it congeals. So the, the fact is that we've already uh, accomplished a, a lot over the understanding of Einstein, with Einstein's theory of relativity and the understanding how mass and, uh, and, uh, and energy will, will kind of flip-flop, switch back and forth, and can interchange with each other. It's opened up a whole, whole variety of technologies. And I imagine in the future they'll just build upon that. We'll we'll see some, you know, truly amazing things. We'll be seeing quantum computers coming out where uh, they are no longer going to use silicon chips to store information, but information will actually be stored on subatomic particles. And a quantum computer, like in the subatomic world, where you can have where where one where a particle really is both a particle and a wave at the same time. It represents matter and energy, so it's a particle and a wave. Uh, it represents all possibilities, uh, all potential possibilities at one time. And the beauty of a quantum computer is, instead of uh, a regular computer, which is an either or, uh, a one or a zero, uh, in, in, uh, in, in terms of how it calculates, uh, how it does its calculation, and a quantum computer, it can, quant it, it can actually calculate all possibilities simultaneously. Rather than going through this one-step, you know, trial and error, either-or type of process that a conventional mechanical computer has, so no. there's going to be a lot of fantastic things coming out. Not this or that; it's this and that. It's this and that, exactly, Rick. And um, uh, what really piqued my interest while you were uh, discussing that is that there's really a, there really can be made a direct correlation uh, to uh, ancient wisdom and 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 ancient sometimes called mystery schools, but um, in, in Greece it was just school, um, about ether and things slowing down and becoming physical. It's exactly, really, if you, you know, some scientists might say we take creative license, but really it's there's some, almost a one-to-one -one correlation from, they called it ether, we call it a Higgs field, you know, they called it slowing down, we call it a bunch of Higgs bosons snatching onto you, but it's the same. It really seems to be the same information. It, it is the same information, and remember, the ancients actually used the term vibration just the way that we use it in scientific and even New Age circles today. You know, you're, you know, you talk about the vibes. They were talking about vibes several thousand years ago in order to describe these energies that they were saying that it's, it's different frequencies or levels of vibration. And according to the frequency, it has a different material appearance to it. But it's all a matter of vibrating uh, and, you know, energies and so forth. But uh, what's really astonishing to me, and it's going to be in my third ebook, is that the description of the Higgs boson field is shockingly similar to the Gnostic creation myth of how energy came into the earth plane and was slowed down and coagulated to become 
the material world that we know today. The, the way the myth describes that happening almost sounds like they were describing the Higgs boson field. And this is just one of many, many um, parallels that I have found between the ancient Gnostic texts and modern sciences such as quantum physics, psychology, and molecular biology. It's, it's really astounding how advanced these guys were when they penetrated the higher realms of information and they brought this material back in the form of myths. It's, it's almost like an X and Y axis. You can take science as the X axis and the ancient spirituality as the Y axis, and you can build a whole model of reality with all these parallel bookend statements that they were making thousands of years apart. Absolutely. It's something I've noticed and have asked many guests about and have talked about. Um, there seems to be a real convergence um, in particularly with quantum physics, which is sort of the leading edge of the science, but a real convergence of of uh, spirituality and science, if they'll sort of get over their allergy to each other. Well, you know, there really isn't an allergy to each other, except for the fact it's a very interesting phenomenon. Again, this is something I, I'm covering in my ebook series, but the the antagonism is really between traditional religion and and traditional science not between the advanced new sciences and between spiritual wisdom. There's a difference. Um, now, both the thing is that both traditional classical materialist science, which is the science that stemmed from Newton, Darwin, Descartes, uh, the classical model of reality that stemmed from those, um, those guys, uh, that is what is in conflict with traditional religion. And the reason why they're in conflict is because traditional religion itself, at least as it's been handed down to us in the Western world in the form of Judeo-Christianity, is very materialistic in its own orientation. It, it, it's the, the spiritual aspect of those religions um, was buried over a long time ago and lost a long time ago. And as a result, interpretations of key events, let's say in the Bible, were given material interpretations, whereas originally they were symbolic archetypes for deeper spiritual truths. Now, to give you an example, um, the nativity uh, was, you know, in traditional uh, Christianity, is, is the birth of this miraculous God-man, whereas the early understanding of the nativity was it was the birth of a new light and wisdom and knowledge coming into the uh, the crucifixion turned out to be a blood sacrifice of one particular individual, whereas the original understanding of the crucifixion was the death of the ego self to allow the birth of a higher knowledge of our higher substance within us. And finally, the resurrection you know, in, in Christianity turned out to be the resurrection of, of actually physical bodies. It's actually kind of ghoulish, almost like sounds like zombies coming back from the grave, whereas the original understanding of the resurrection was a rebirth into higher knowledge while you were still alive. So you see that over time, as the original Christian message got literalized, uh, it became very materialistic in its interpretations and orientations, and it left it wide open to be deconstructed by materialist science. But that paradigm's changing because the advanced sciences like quantum physics, 
that are starting to have the same realizations as the ancient spiritualism did thousands of years ago have the potential for joining hands and really giving us a powerful new paradigm together for what reality is. Yes, and it opens some amazing doors. Uh, we're just about break time here, so why don't we uh, why don't we take a brief break and then uh, I know Jane's got a couple of questions she's itching to ask that would be great follow-ons to right there. Hey, maybe. Yeah, probably. A? Canadian, eh? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we'll take a quick break and wait, where's the. Ah. It's not good when you hit the wrong button. Things don't happen right. Um, <laughs> oh, yes, with uh, some Jordan Okrand. And we'll be back in about five minutes. Stay with us, folks. And now, a word from our sponsors. All things are ruled and shaped by patterns. Every moment is filled with symbolism and synchronicity. Understanding the symbols that shape our lives can provide us with guidance and a greater sense of freedom as we gain the ability to navigate the subconscious. Mama Webb draws on 16 years of research into world mythology, theology, symbols, tarot, archetypes, and natural healing, combining that knowledge with intuition, personal experiences, and witnessing journeying, supporting over 700-plus clients on their paths to peace. Mama Webb is able to provide unique insight into the forces that guide our lives and shape our worldviews. You can find Mama at mamaweb.com or call 1-855-WEBB. The life of a creator can be challenging without the support of a loving family. When your inner child calls, will you have the courage to answer? If you're looking for a safe place to play in the artistic energy of life, a place where you can be embraced for all the beauty that you naturally hold within, then the inner child family is the perfect place for you. A safe haven for artists, poets, and musicians, this uniquely accepting group of individuals is waiting to welcome you with open arms. Be it support that you seek, publishing assistance, or just a fun, friendly place to hang your virtual hat, you've found a second home in Inner Child. Go home to IamInnerChild.com. Are you looking for answers, clarity, and relief? Are you seeking resolution to the issues in your life that are leaving you feeling confused, upset, and out of control? Are you experiencing the same situation over and over again? Are you ready to move forward and let go of what no longer works? Or is your mission to bridge the gap between human and animal, allowing for the relationship between you and your companion to deepen and flourish? With the help of the gentle guiding hand of Akashic visionary and animal communicator, Inez Martin, you can find the answers that you are looking for. Open your heart to the possibilities by visiting Inez at VisionaryLifeConsultant.com. And now for some irregularly scheduled music.
That was our buddy Jordan Okren with Bottled Up and uh, and some words from our sponsors. <laughs> so serious. Yes, well, the radio voice, you know. <clears throat> Almost stuffy. <laughs> <laughs> so, since before the break, we were talking about um, we were talking about the ancient wisdoms and, and some of the Gnostic teachings uh, being, you know, in alignment with this quote-unquote new discovery by science, how do you think this is going to affect um, mainstream Christian community or the church even? I, has, I haven't heard the church's response to this discovery, um, but I'm wondering, you know, because you've done a lot of research on this stuff, in preparation for the writing of your book, and I'm just wondering if uh, you have some insight into what the church would have to say about this discovery. Well, you know, I, I can't really speak on behalf of the church. I, I don't know if anybody knows their mindset outside of the Vatican. Uh, I do think that mainstream Christians and Jews are completely open um, to this type of information because, well, to tell you the, the truth, if you take a look at the state of American Catholicism today, I don't think any, I think very few people really pay attention to what Rome thinks, what Rome says, or what Rome does. I, I think they're Catholics for other reasons. They're there for the fellowship. There's other things that they get out of it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that hook, line, and sinker, uh, they buy everything that the church tells them. I know that when I was doing research for Pope Annalisa, 
and I called the Archdiocese in Boston to ask a few questions. I was talking to the female workers over there, and they were all so excited at the idea of a female pope. They were saying, gee, do you ever think, you know, we'll, we'll really see that happen? And, you know, you could hear the excitement in their voices. And, of course, uh, if you asked the same question at the Vatican amongst the cardinals and everything, you wouldn't get such a warm reception. I I actually um, brought the subject up with a sister once, and a sister that I know very, very well, and I got shut down completely and told very pointedly, I'm not willing to discuss that with you, but I can arrange for somebody who would be willing to discuss it. You know exactly that accent, I should think. And let me tell tell you, the females in the church are, are, are so open to something like this happening because they think completely differently than than the male hierarchy does. But anyway, to get back to your question, I don't really know exactly what the church's position on the God particle will be. Now, they've accepted the Big Bang with open arms because they feel that that you know, corresponds to a, a biblical version uh, of, the, of the creation. I don't know that there's anything in particular that they would object to about the discovery of the Higgs boson particle. Uh, as far as Gnosticism is concerned, that's a different topic. You, you know, Gnostic, Gnosticism was the biggest threat to Orthodox Christianity in the Church's entire history. Because the Gnostics, for one thing, were probably the original Christians before the Orthodox or literal ideas of the Christian story kind of coalesced. And it had a huge influence in the early church for the first three or four centuries of the early church. And the ideas behind Gnosticism, and essentially, let me I'm using this term a lot, and maybe some of the listeners don't even know what that is, so let me briefly mention this. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word to know. And the Gnostic Christians believed that an individual contained a spark of God within him or her. Every individual contains a spark of God within them. And that we can contact this higher source of information within us to get the answers that we need out of life. So you didn't really need a priesthood. You didn't need a hierarchy. That was one of the reasons why the Orthodox Church didn't like them very much, because they were all about hierarchy and power. So among other reasons, which are too numerous to mention here, there was a very big competition between the Gnostics and the Orthodox in the early centuries. And in any case, Gnosticism, which was destroyed and suppressed by the church, never really was completely destroyed because its its ideas deal with eternal spiritual truths. And you can suppress those, but you can't stamp them out. So as a result, Gnosticism just kept cropping up all the time in, in the uh, Middle Ages, uh, the entire southern uh, part of southern France was Gnostic. It was called the Cathar Church, the Church of the Cathars. Uh, the Rosicrucians, the Freemasons, the Tarot, the Troubadours, these were all expressions of Gnosticism. Even today, what we call the New Age is a direct offshoot of Gnostic thinking. Uh, it's kind of pejorative, but it, it, it is a direct offshoot of Gnostic thinking because the Gnostics touched upon these eternal truths, which are coming out now in scientific findings that uh, we're, we're talking about, like like the Higgs boson particle and uh, you know the fact that God is light and the role that light plays in the creation of matter. All these things were talked about by the Gnostics in the mystery schools thousands of years ago. 
So the Catholic Church, if they perceived anything Gnostic, and, you know, they feel very threatened by it because they know that there's a great appeal that Gnosticism has to a lot of people because it it's a very compelling story. It's a very compelling road to to spirituality that the church doesn't like. The church tries to stifle. Well, if, it, if I may, it's not just a compelling story, but there's something deeper to it. Those teachings ring true. And they, they touch you on a deep level, and it, it kind of births a spurt of, of personal growth and expansion once you start to hear those ideas, and you become more and more self-empowered and more and more self-reliant. It, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. That's what I mean by a compelling story. It's a compelling story about the deeper quest, about the deeper mysteries of life. And when, once people understand the basics of it, they just kind of want to delve deeper and, and deeper into it because there's, they, they sense there's a lot of truth to be had there. So, you know, in, in, in terms of, you know, what we call modern sound bites today, uh, the sound bites of the Catholic Church would, or the, the Christ, Orthodox Christianity, which is the same stuff that we most of us were raised with and kind of grew up with, uh, gets uh, kind of old and people perceive it to be a little bit of a dead end. And when they start to understand what the ancient spirituality was about, and then they can link that to findings in the modern sciences like quantum physics and depth psychology, it's a completely exhilarating, exciting experience. They feel like they've just unearthed a cache of gold. So it, it kind of sounds like, you know, you mentioned earlier, uh, I, I agree with you. I don't know that the church would have any particular, you know, if somebody said, what do you think about them finding this particle? The church would say, well, it's illuminating more of God's creation. How beautiful. Yeah. But if somebody stands up and says, you know, this is really kind of scientific proof of uh, the following Gnostic theories, that they might take issue with. They would. They would take issue with that because anything that would validate Gnosticism, which is considered a heresy by the church, uh, the church wouldn't really like. And I guess you can, you know, as far as like my book is concerned, um, I'll give you some just just a couple anecdotes. Uh, First of all, I don't think the book has been widely disseminated enough yet, let's say along the lines of the Da Vinci Code, although I hope for it to be there one day. But oh, I it think, will, darling. It will. Yeah, we do. Too. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for the vote of confidence. But I a think when it gets, Pope, are you kidding me, brother? You're going to piss them off. <laughs> yeah, I think when it gets to the point where um, you know the Da Vinci Code is, uh, there'll be some consternation in the church because look, they were upset over the whole uh, bloodline theory that um, Dan Brown proposes in his book about Jesus and Magdalene, you know, having children. Uh, but I think that. The Pope Annalisa talks about something far more important than Mary Magdalene being a soccer mom. It talks about Mary and uh, Mary Magdalene and Jesus being the two poles of a divine expression on Earth that expresses the male and female force, the sacred feminine and and the and the you know the male logical organizing intellectual force of the deity, uh, as opposed to the intuitive heartfelt um, you know. Uh, force of the uh, of the sacred feminine they were the two poles that were anchoring this divine knowledge in the earth uh back in those times and you know of course they would the church would take issue with uh, ideas like that but i will tell you very interestingly that individual catholics 
and even individual evangelicals, people who would consider themselves born again or evangelical, have loved this book. And I know you may find that surprising, but I think the reason is that the book is very respectful of organized religion, because I don't look down on organized religion, neither do the characters in the book, because the way I look at it, it's like being in a valley. And if you have two mountains and they're forming a valley and say you're at the foot of one of the mountains and you get a certain view from the foot of the mountain, if you move higher up the mountain, you get a more panoramic view of what's going on. Well, you see, to me, that's the difference between religion and spirituality. Religion maybe is a little bit more down the foot of the mountain. It's not necessarily to say everything is wrong. It's just to say that it's a little bit more of a limited perspective. But if you let yourself open up to different interpretations of your own religion and you start to feel the spiritual elements of, of, it, of your, tr your particular tradition coming through, you are broadening your perspective. You're moving further on up the mountain and you're getting a broader, broader perspective. So it's never framed as a right or wrong, we're right, you're wrong type of thing. I don't even really believe in that. I believe it's all a matter of perspective. And sometimes we seem wrong because our perspective may be a little bit more limited. But we're all looking and seeking you know, for the same type of answers. So you really have to respect everybody in terms of where they are in their own religious uh, e expression. And yes, the church may take a more active hand in, in trying to limit your vision, to the way that they would like you to believe, but I think most people these days they're going to make up their own minds anyhow. Well, I'm not I'm not really surprised to hear you say that, um, just because I've had that same discussion with so many people because of some of the stuff that I wrote in my book. Um, my entire family is Catholic, and I was excited to discover that they took some of the concepts out of my first book and went, "Yeah, we can see that." Um, and, you know, they, it, it opened up a new avenue for them. And I think that people want to be able to still have their faith and still have something solid to hold on to and to believe in, but still be able to grow and expand their experience. So um, it doesn't surprise me at all that, you know, they could take this novel and look at it as something that's not a threat, but something that you know helps them further their expansion yeah because you know pope annalisa when she becomes pope and she starts reintroducing these elements of original christianity and gnosticism she reintroduces them into the church she's not trying to destroy the church and she doesn't bash the church from without she tries to reform the church from within she tries to broaden the vision and the inclusiveness of the church so that for those people that want to, you know, really fixate or retain more on very strict literal interpretations, you know, they can do that. Um, but for, for people who want to take a multifold view of the Christian story and view it at different levels, that they now have the chance to do that. And I think that's the way it's going to come down with most people or, uh, you know, most Catholics understanding coming from that tradition myself. I, I believe that that's the way it's going to come down. Uh, with most Christians and uh, and most Catholics. And I I'll tell you, even personally, um, there's nothing to me that says that the literal interpretations of the Bible were impossible. Uh, the virgin birth, the resurrection, the crucifixion. Did these things happen? I can't tell you for certain they did. Can I tell you it's possible that they did? Yeah, sure it is. It's possible that, you know, some of these events did did occur. But see, to me, 
I don't fixate on that, and it's not important to me, because I don't think that tells us that much of the truth. If Christ was nailed to the cross, it tells us a lot less about what he was teaching than if you understand the symbolism of, of the crucifixion. You know, Just like we talked about earlier, there was a symbolic or archetypical way to look at the nativity, uh, to look at the... Um, uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection. There's a more symbolic way to look at it. And I think you glean a lot more wisdom out of looking at it in a higher symbolic sense than if you just fixate on the literal story, although there's nothing wrong in believing the literal story. And I, I love your metaphor of the mountain. You might be at a spot near the foot of the mountain and you see something in the distance and you think, oh, I bet that's, I know what that is. And then you climb further up the mountain and you get a clear view and you see it's not that at all. But you can easily understand how you thought that from down there. It doesn't one doesn't invalidate the other, at least it doesn't have to. Right. Um because like you said, there's there's a lot of good information that's been carried true, even in the in the Bible. But I mean it's very clear in there in in, in parts and it's very clear in history that 2,000 years ago, that was sort of the way of teaching, was to tell stories. Well, uh, think about it for a second. That was that was the full... Well, if you were a mystic, and you just came out of one of your deep trance sessions where you really made a subjective penetration into these higher realms of information, and you had to bring back this complex information about the creation, about the origin of human beings and everything else, what were you going to do? You weren't going to make a film out of it. You weren't going to make a scientific treatise out of it because you didn't even have the scientific jargon back in those days. You would put it in the form of a myth. That was how you conveyed things. And the beautiful thing about myth is that being as fluid a medium as myth is, it allowed itself to be read and to be understood on multiple levels. And that's how these guys wrote, and that's how these guys conveyed their higher truth. So myth, if you take the Joseph Campbell view, for instance, which I do, and, and those of other astute people, myth is not just some fantastic figment of a bunch of people's imagination, these weird, you know, half bird, half human figures running around and things like that. Myths incorporated the higher archetypes and truths of our existence and our being if you had enough context to decode what the myths were saying. And unfortunately, what the church did was it destroyed a lot of that context by destroying the Gnostic writings and the Gnostic Gospels and so forth, some of which we've recovered. Yet it could even be argued that that was a necessary evil. I mean, we have to think in terms of the diversity of our planet and if we are in fact all a spark of the divine and we're all here to have experiences the most important part of that experience is is to be able to experience things in different ways so that diversity is integral to our existence yeah i think that's absolutely true um there's many paths to the same door uh the tragedy of humanity is that we, we can't recognize that, and we think that ours is the only way. And as soon as you start thinking like that, you have to now defend your turf. And that leads to all kinds of conflicts. You know, unfortunately, what happens is prophets 
speak the heart of God and their followers start religions. And you see, what ha- what happens with religions is when you don't have the experience yourself, when you're not your own prophet, when you haven't had that personal contact with the divine, then you have to rely on faith, and faith is the word of others. So that followers of the prophets who don't have the mystical experience themselves have to rely on interpretation. And as soon as you start interpreting something, it's your point of view, and you have to defend your point of view. And as soon as you start defending your point of view, you have an agenda. And as soon as you have an agenda, you want to gather power. You want other people to agree with your way. And then you start getting the whole superstructure of religion built on top of the original spiritual impulse. Because it, it, it has to be tough. And I think it's still the same way that it's tough now. Uh, when you have sort of a... Uh, an internal experience. It's not really a, you didn't run around and go do it. Uh, so maybe you flew, maybe you did things and, and you saw things and you understood them. And even when you get back, you can't even really think of words exactly to, so you just try to communicate it best that you can. Um, put words to something that's really wordless. And, and uh, because you, the same words can be interpreted so many ways. and um, But when there's kernels of truth in there, I find that it tends to lead people to ask the next question, and then off they go. Well, that's what, that's what you can hope for. And, you know, of course, the, the difficult thing, both for science and for mysticism, is that you're trying to describe something that lies outside of space and time from within space and time. And how do you solve the mystery when, you know, when, when you're really part of the mystery? Um, it's a, uh, I think in that regard, that's where spirituality can trump science, which is that I think in spiritual experience, you have the ability to penetrate dimensions that would be very difficult uh, for science to explain with the limitations of the science, the, the scientific method and scientific inquiry of trying to understand the realities of nature, which essentially come from outside our realm of space and time, and yet they're trying to describe it using their instrumentation, which all exists within space and time. The one thing that can transcend space and time is consciousness. And if consciousness, in fact, is the source of everything that is, and I do believe that it is, then we have a greater chance of penetrating the mysteries further through our consciousness than we do through our scientific inquiry. Yeah, because it's, it's really, it's interlaced without, with, throughout scientific inter- inquiry. It's very early on that you might run into this thing they call a tesseract, Um a fourth dimensional cube, so to speak, but then they draw a picture of it and try to show you what it looks like in three dimensions. They even build models of it. And to me, that just confuses the subject. And one day, from a different scientific point of view or spiritual point of view, from a different point of view, that might be looked at as a strange story that was used to explain something that you can't explain at that level. Just like we look at some stories in old books and think that's silly. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's very very true. I mean, they they don't call it mystery for nothing. Mystery is a mystery, and um, you know, often it's often like that Supreme Court thing. I'll know it when I see it. You know, you 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 when you feel it, you feel it, and you get the sense of it, and you do your best to convey that in the limitations of a language, uh, but um, you never can fully convey to somebody a mystical experience unless they have had it themselves and they can recognize at a different level what you're talking about. Just real quick, Peter, before we go to break, um, I'm just wondering, with all the research that you've done and the growth that we've witnessed over the last few years, do you think that we've finally come to the point in our development as a race where science and religion can begin to combine their efforts? Well, I think that's what's happening slowly. And I, I'm not, I, I won't, I'm not going to say, I, you have to qualify. If you're talking about traditional science and traditional religion, the answer is no. I don't think they'll ever come together because they're both essentially battling out uh, from two two sides of the same turf. They're both they're both proceeding from the viewpoint of materialism. But if you're talking about advanced sciences like quantum physics or like depth psychology, and you're talking about spirituality, ancient spirituality, I think those two things can come together and point to a new paradigm. And the irony is that the future of science, that, 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 that science has to look to the future, you know, in these, in these new sciences that are superseding Darwinism and, and you know, Newtonian uh, mechanics and things like that. Whereas religion, their salvation is in the past. It's to recover these spiritual traditions they lost. In, in, re, in a real sense, a physical sense, as well as a spiritual sense, remembering what we once knew. It's what they always say. We're not telling you anything you don't already know. It's remembrance. That's true. Life is not really so much a matter of learning as much as it's a matter of remembrance from the source of, of the intelligence of the source from whence we came. It's going to be an interesting, interesting couple years, I think, that we're leading up to. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to word that. That we're um, sort of knee deep in right now, well, really. Well, yeah, but, it, I mean, it just gets more and more fascinating as we go on. It does, and we're on the cusp. We're on the cusp of a lot of big things, but, you know, it's just like anything else. When a new and dynamic source of knowledge comes into the human consciousness, it rarely has an immediate effect because, for the most part, people will go through a period of disbelief. People will go through a period of resistance. uh Look at look at traditional science. You you know Darwinists are running the universities today. If you try and even talk about intelligent creation or intelligent design, they will drum you out so fast and you'll lose your job. You wouldn't believe it. They are the hierarchy. They are the Catholic Church of science, and they will excommunicate you and brand you as a heretic because they're going to say that you're trying to sneak biblical creation back into the curriculum. And and of course that's a totally totally false argument. Intelligent design has nothing to do with uh, biblical creationism. And if, if the truth be known, the burden of proof to be in the Darwinists to show how Darwinism has these huge 
hole, gaping holes in it, where it, it's, it's basically a theory that's not a valid theory to a large extent anymore, and yet they, they go on and treat it as if it were sacrosanct to the exclusion of anything else. That kind of thinking, that kind of orthodoxy, which has existed in religion and exists in materialist science, will go on for some time before people start to loosen up and maybe accept some of the findings of these newer ideas. That's the way knowledge works. Well, I don't think we have a lot of room left for that kind of thinking, though. I mean, even the church itself has come out and said, yes, there is quite possibly life out there in the universe other than Earth. Um, You know, I mean, this institution that has been a rock-solid foundation, immovable for years, has begun to shift its version of the story and has allowed itself some growth and expansion, not, you know, massive amounts yet, but it has a lot. Well, so the, the it, there's churches, ample evidence. There's uh-huh. ample evidence that this is happening, that, that this... There's a church, The church is an odd beast. They've always had sort of running around in there somewhere. They don't talk about it a lot, but they've always had astro- uh, astronomers, not so much astrologers, but astronomers with telescopes looking at stuff. They have one of the, they have, it's not the biggest and all that, but they have a fine observatory in, uh, is it New Mexico or Arizona one? They have a, you know, and of course it's staffed by priests. That's the thing. And they... Well, well you know, the, yeah, they do have the Vatican Academy of Sciences and they, they do a lot of uh, interesting stuff there. But, you know, here's the thing. The, the the church is called the body of Christ, and the body is the people that make up the church. And if you look at the head, the head is, you know, the, the hierarchy itself. Here's the fact of the matter is just like any body, a body renews itself. A body has to change its cells out every seven years. If it doesn't, it dies. The cells of the church are going to change because the consciousness of the people of the church, and I'm not just speaking of the Catholic church, I'm speaking of all Christianity, of really any religion, the body of these worshipers is going to change because their consciousness is changing. And eventually the head is going to have to change too, or the whole thing is going to die. So I really believe, I believe that the same way with science. I mean, science, um, a lot of people, science is so abstract to them that, you know, you think that science is like a self-contained community because nobody else understands what the hell they're saying. But that's not really true. I, I think that, Ideas about quantum physics and other things are starting to seep into the popular mind. People are starting to get aware of the astounding findings of quantum physics through people like me, through millions of others that get out there and talk about this stuff. And that starts to change their consciousness. And what's going to happen is there's going to come a time when these academics that are strictly sticking to orthodox versions of Darwinism uh, or rejecting, you know, or, 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 you know, classical Newtonian physics, which incidentally isn't invalid. It's just it's just been superseded by a, a, a bigger picture. But the point is that they those people are going to have to answer for themselves and answer for their actions. And, and you know, why are you guys being so narrow-minded? Why, why are you guys, you know, excluding a whole realm of knowledge here that could be valuable to humanity because of your own little pet, you know, points of view? They will have to be answerable because the people as a whole – will get more conscious and change and demand these things. 
I agree completely. And it is time for a quick break, and then I have the question of all questions when we get back. Oh, wow. I even want to hear that. Mm. So we'll hear about getting involved and then... uh, Talk a little about the Divine Feminine. Have some earth prayer. Have some Divine Feminine singing. Well, (laughs) talks in there about the... All, all four directions. Indeed. You know, so it it's... Does. The, that's the interesting thing. The Divine Feminine doesn't have any problem talking about the Divine Masculine. It's the Divine Masculines who got the polarity thing stuck in yeah. my way or the highway. <clears throat> it's a guy thing. <laughs> I am a lumberjack and I am okay. No, no, wait, that's... Oh, you Canadian too, eh? Right, there you go, eh? All right. We'll be back in just over five minutes, folks. Stay with us. Everybody has a story, a moment in their life that was a turning point that set them upon a path of self-discovery and adventure. Here at Everyday Connection, we value the sharing of those moments, recognizing them to be the inspiring and uplifting gifts that they truly are. We would like to show our appreciation, not just to our guests and sponsors, but to our listeners and supporters who make it possible for us to share those stories. If you would like to support the continued success of Everyday Connection, share your own story, or know somebody whose story can touch the hearts of others, drop by everydayconnection.me and find out how you can become a part of our ever-expanding EC family.
great spirit, creator of all things, of the west and the thunder, of the east and the sun, in the north the shining elder, and the south our mother's womb, to those above and below us, to the seen and unseen, those who have walked before and after, we ask your assistance to live simply. Please forgive us, for we know not what we do. And we thank you for all you help us. the button okay <laughs> takes twice sometimes plus I the, the end of that sneaks up on me every time it does what was the name of that piece it was beautiful isn't that stunning that's uh, Earth Prayer by our dear friend Ina V who, and you uh, can actually um, buy that on her website www.inav.com for 99 cents and the proceeds because she's an angel go to um, support environmentally conscious organizations and efforts. Very good. Yeah, she's doing some wonderful things with it. Uh, she was on our show, and then shortly after that signed a record deal, didn't she? Yeah. Jane? Yeah. People got to come on our show more often. They sign deals right afterwards. It's good. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. too long after after that that Peter came up with a movie, too. So. <laughs> you guys are trendsetters. Yeah, it's trendsetters. <laughs> It's uh, lucky to come on the show. Apparently, it's good luck. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, I'm that, lucky to that's, be here. So it's got to be the thing. Absolutely. That that song is my um, my moment of prayer in every show. We play it every show. It's my way of being in a very quiet space and saying thank you for all the work that we're able to do. So um, I can't imagine a show without Earth Prayer. <laughs> so I have I have the question. Already for you, Peter, before we get to your links. Um, do you think that the church is ever going to be ready for a female pope? Yes, I do. I, I don't know that it will happen in my lifetime or yours, but I think it's inevitable. Like I said, I know it's hard to imagine given the state of the church today, but the consciousness of the people that comprise the church, the body of Christ, is changing. And there will be a inevitable pressure on the head of the church to listen to its own body. Um, they're, they've prided themselves in not doing that for 2,000 years, but I really do believe that uh, they're going to uh, have to do it. Uh, if you've seen polls 
about how people feel about religious matters. A lot of people are starting to move away from religion, but they're not becoming atheists or secularists. They're becoming spiritual. So they're redefining their own personal views of God and of life in other broader terms than what the church has channeled them in. And that's going to be an increasing trend. And I do believe that as more evidence comes out about the early female leadership of the church as it once was and how these women were essentially pushed aside so that the uh, church could curry favor with the Roman Empire and be the official state religion, and they had to remove the women from positions of authority because women were an embarrassment to them in that effort back then, uh, as the evidence of the early leadership of the female leadership of the church comes to the fore, I think there'll be greater pressure to restore that. You already see it. Look at the Mary Magdalene phenomenon. I mean, when I started Pope Annalisa, I knew Mary Magdalene was going to play a major role in my trilogy. The trilogy is called the First Souls Trilogy, about the first souls to fall into material experience, into physicality, into the material world. And I knew Mary Magdalene was going to play a major role in this. I didn't know why at the time, because I didn't know anything about Mary Magdalene 12 years ago uh, when I started this project. And I couldn't find any information on Mary Magdalene 12 years ago when I started this project. But halfway into this, let's say about six years when I was you know, into this, all of a sudden there was an explosion of material and interest in Mary Magdalene. It was like Mary Magdalene particles were filling the air. And everywhere you turned, there was a new book, new information, new essays, something coming out about Mary Magdalene. And it's not about Mary Magdalene. That's what I learned. What I learned was that this feeling that I had to write something that would involve the character of Mary Magdalene was an archetypical force that is recycling and coming back into the fore. It's the reappearance of the sacred feminine in our lives. It's the reappearance of the mystical and intuitive in our lives. And it's typified in the Western world in the figure of Mary Magdalene. So it's not about Mary, but it's about Mary as a symbol or an archetype of this whole movement and recycling of the female energy. And I believe it's inevitable that eventually it will reach the upper echelons of the church. I can't predict when. I can't give you a date or a time, but I really do believe it will happen. Well, there's some interesting things going on, I know. Uh, Not a lot of coverage, but a little coverage of the largest union, the largest uh, order of nuns in the United States. The church in Rome, in the Vatican, they, they said they pretty much, they didn't call them up. They get these decrees and letters and whatever. But, you know, look, you're you're going a little wayward there. So we're going to send a priest over, a, I think a cardinal, uh, over to over, take over and oversee and straighten you people out. And uh, And the nuns basically said, well, you're welcome to come over here, but we're not doing anything wrong, so we're not going to change what we're doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that really, Rick, tells the whole story about what I'm saying, which is that the body of the church is going to change. I have no doubt that within the church itself it would start with uh, a movement among nuns, but I think that in general the lay people of the church, uh, their consciousness is changing so much 
that the church is going to have to respond eventually, or the church as we know it, you know, will die out. The church is either going to have to reform itself and it has to incorporate um, women uh, into the church and it has to recognize it's not. And it's not just a. I don't want to reduce it to a feminist gender issue because that's not what this is about. It's not about male no, versus no. female or feminism versus reactionism. What this is really about, it's the recognition of the other half of our being, that we've been rational individuals, uh, intellectual, orderly, linear, male, sort of right, uh, right, uh, left brain, um, you know, for so long now that it's really begun to affect our world in an adverse way. It was necessary at one point in history, but now it's begun to affect our world in an adverse way. And we probably have to restore what was a little bit more closer to our original condition when we were new souls entering these bodies and the world was mystical and the world was intuitive and we, we operated in the pulses and the rhythms of Mother Nature. I think that's going to come back, but it's going to come back in a different way because this male experience of the sort of rational, intellectual, technological side we went through, it's not bad. It's just that it's gone on too long and it's gotten too extreme. So this other side needs to come back and balance us, and then you know we'll. That's when you become a superior individual. Is when you use all of these faculties that are part of your being in harmony and in, and in unison, rather than one to more or less the exclusion of the other. I honestly can't think of a better way to end a show. Um, Beautiful. We we are at that time. Peter, can you just quickly tell us how people can find you, find your work, find your book, and um, explore this a little further? Because I know that there's a, a vast amount of information just on your website. Yeah, my website is popeanalisa.com. That's P-O-P-E-A-N-N-A-L-I-S-A.com. There is a lot of information, videos and articles and things along the lines of what we've talked about tonight. Uh, as far as the book is concerned, you can get the book through the website, uh, or you can go to Amazon or Borders. And if you want to read reviews about the book, oh, there's almost 50 reviews now, I think, on uh, Amazon.com. And they come from people of all different um, sort of orientations or you know um, uh, positions in life. And it's a good cross-section of, of reviews about the book. Uh, I will be posting uh, from time to time when I'm talking at different places around the country. I will post those venues on my website. So if I'm in an area or nearby an area where you live and you're interested in this material, you certainly are welcome to come over and listen. And uh, like I say, uh, in the near future, I hope to be putting out my series of ebooks that are going to go into depth on a lot of things, just about everything we discussed here tonight. Is going to be dealt with in depth in these ebooks, and I will again. I'll probably post the announcement of the publication of those on my website. Awesome. Well, I do hope that um, once the ebooks are out, that you'll find time to come back and talk to us again because I'd love to get my hands on those, and uh, definitely keep us posted on on the film um, and the development of that. Uh, just because there's so much information in in that first novel, I, I just can't wait to see it on the big screen. I'm probably going to be one of your biggest fans. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. And uh, it was great being back and talking with you guys again. It's a great show, and I, I appreciate you bringing me on. Uh, I wish you infinite success in what you're doing, Peter. I really do. 
Well, thanks, guys, and good evening to you. Wonderful deal, folks. So uh, we have a calendar. Do we have a calendar? Somebody has a calendar somewhere. I always forget the calendar somehow. Oh, yes. Because well, our guests are so fascinating that it's really rather hard to give up the conversation and switch yeah, over to yeah. pushing buttons. <laughs> this would be the time we'd all get up to the kitchen, go make a sandwich, and then we'll come back and talk more. Mm-hmm. But um, we have uh, Thursday, Thomas Fusco, author of Behind the Cosmic Veil, uh, who is also going to talk about his nearly three decades of investigating the relationship between mind and physics and spirituality and parapsychology. So we will have more and more of the connection and convergence of, you know, because if all paths lead to the same place, you can be really far apart when you start, but you start getting closer and closer to each other as you get closer because you're all going the same place. So it kind of makes sense that all these different paths start to sound alike. But that's going to be fun. And then, of course, a week from tonight, we have Inez Martins back with us with her call-in show, uh, Animal Communication, and, uh, well, just almost any subject under the sun. We've yeah, yeah. Um, brilliant answers, I might add. It's all about that connection, you know? She's she's a connected being, that one is. And uh, it's always a pleasure to have Inez on the show. Absolutely. So... You folks, uh, join us again Thursday, and uh, remember that soon we're going to have more shows on. We'll uh, we'll keep letting you know about uh, about those. And uh, yeah, join us Thursday night. Until then, stay connected. Night, everybody. We hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, visit our website at everydayconnection.me. And please like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Everyday Connection. Think you might miss an episode? No problem. Subscribe to our show on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free, just like your Everyday Connection. question of your life the only question before that question how do you find the perfect ring to ask it with with the incredible selection of diamonds at jared and our price match guarantee you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love visit your local jared store today and dare to be devoted we promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer see jared.com slash price match for details So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details.